This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 180. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the podcast talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. You know, as I record this, it's early September and it's back to school time. I always try to focus on education on this show, but uh, this, this show in particular, this episode, is going to be uh, the back to school episode. So uh, we're going to talk with Chris Bitmead and Suzanne Friedman of Bar Methods. You might remember uh, a few weeks ago I attended the inaugural. Did I say that right? Inaugural. <laughs> My pronunciation sucks. Uh, the first uh, bar methods class, and it was uh, three days in Manhattan. A lot of great classes, a lot of great teachers, and a great time was had by it all. So uh, we're going to hear about that, and uh, they're planning to do that again next year. So uh, if you go to barmethods.com, uh, you can find out more info about it, and maybe you can get in on it next year. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a newly formed bartender education and certification program. So, uh, yeah, look into that and we're going to talk to Chris and Suzanne in just a couple of minutes. It's September, which means not just back to school, but it's also National Bourbon Heritage Month here in America. And bourbon is uh, was declared America's native spirit in 1964 by uh, Congress. And uh, yeah, Congress declared bourbon America's native spirit by celebrating the family heritage tradition and deep-rooted legacy that the bourbon industry contributes to the united states uh that's straight out of wikipedia (laughs) so it must be true no that is true but in 2007 the u.s senate declared september as national bourbon heritage month and uh the bill was sponsored by senator jim bunning of guess which state yeah kentucky you guessed it (laughs) so uh this resolution calls for consumers who enjoy bourbon to do so responsibly and in moderation so keep that in mind too but uh yeah national bourbon heritage month uh lots of uh events and promotions and things going on so uh and we're going to talk a little bit more about bourbon uh in this episode including our cocktail of the week and uh to go along with our book of the week but first few announcements. Uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Partender. This episode of Bartender Journey is brought to you by Partender, which helps you do inventory, ordering, and get real-time insights on what's moving in your bar in minutes versus hours. The team at Partender wants to make inventory easier and help increase transparency and happiness for everyone. So bartenders, managers, and owners can come together to build a better beverage program. It's Partender, P-A-R-T-E-N-D-E-R.com. Check them out. So this week we have two special announcements. First, in keeping with the spirit of spirits education, we're happy to announce that uh, for this month of September 2016 only, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is offering a discounted membership rate with the code AMANDA when you sign up at smwsa.com. That stands for Scotch Malt Whiskey Society America. I think, (laughs) smwsa.com. So membership includes private access to the site, a subscription to unfiltered magazine, invitations and discounts to events all around the U.S., and access to exclusive member-only rooms in Leith, Edinburgh, and London if you visit over there across the pond. So, uh, yeah, look into that. That's a a great rate for uh, a great organization. Special announcement number two, we have a swag bag giveaway. Send me an email at brian at bartenderjourney.net with an example of how you use what you learned from the Bartender Journey podcast in real life, either behind the stick 
for professional bartenders or every day at home if you're a cocktail enthusiast. And uh, just a short write-up with uh, what I learned in the subject line. And if you're the winning entry, we're going to send you some uh, some swag. In honor of National Bourbon Heritage Month, you'll get a bourbon t-shirt and an Angel's Envy uh, little notebook. It's like it's a diary for uh, keeping notes, keeping your cocktail recipes, and uh, we got it at a recent Angel's Envy uh, brand event. It was actually during Bar Methods, so uh, yeah, you'll like that. So to enter, uh, email me, brian at bartenderjourney.net with what I learned in the subject line, and uh, yeah, the contest goes until... Uh, or entries must be received, I should say, uh, by Wednesday, midnight, Eastern Standard Time, September 28th, 2016. So details and the rules will be posted on uh, on bartenderjourney.net on the posting that goes along with this show, number 180. Oh, and it's for uh, U.S. residents only, please, because we got to ship it to you. I have to do a shout-out to Hazel Elvarado, who's working with me on the podcast and blog lately. She's been a huge help with a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes or back-of-house stuff, as I like to say. And I can't thank her enough, among other things. She set up this contest, and she picked out our Book of the Week and wrote up this little summary for us. So the Book of the Week, uh, along the lines of National Bourbon Heritage Month, it's Southern Spirits, 400 Years of Drinking in the American South, with recipes by Robert Moss. When you hear a Southern cocktail, do you think uh, mint julep? Mix beyond the mint julep and learn cocktail recipes and their history beyond each one. From Robert Moss, food and drink writer and culinary historian, this book offers insight of the southern drinking culture of liquor, beer, wine, and the influence on American drinking culture. So check that out. And uh, we'll have a link to that up on bartenderjourney.net as well. The cocktail of the week is the Buffalo Negra, which uh, interesting. I had uh, hadn't made this before today, so uh, it's a great drink. And uh, this particular version of this of this drink was is credited to John Greco of Philip Marie in Manhattan. And uh, yeah, again, it's the Buffalo Negra, and uh, so it's uh, half a teaspoon of turbinado sugar, one teaspoon of a good aged balsamic vinegar, five bagels, five basil leaves. Uh, one and a half ounce bourbon, two ounces of ginger beer. So uh, muddle the sugar, vinegar, and four basil leaves in a cocktail shaker. Add bourbon and ice and shake. So you want to dissolve that sugar up and then uh, strain it into an uh, ice-filled old-fashioned glass and top with ginger beer and garnish with basil. So uh, that's a yummy, good drink. Interesting to put uh, vinegar in a drink, huh? I like it. It's good. All right, let's talk to Chris Bitmead and Suzanne Friedman of Bar Methods. I'm so, I'm so excited about this event, and uh, it's a lovely hotel we're at here, Park Beautiful. South Hotel. Beautiful hotel, and we chose the hotel because, um, first of all, it's new, um, and they are known for their hospitality and their service and their bar program. So Ted Kilpatrick, who is very well known you know, in the industry, is the director of beverage here, and he's trained everybody here. And you could tell just by you know, interacting with the staff that everybody knows what their job is and what they're supposed to do and how to interact with customers. So it's a pleasure to be in this hotel. Training is something I really wanted to talk about on the show for the longest time because like what what is training what what does it mean you know it's not just like 4 hours behind the bar with the other bartender well training in my opinion is something that you never stop doing as a bartender and it's probably the same in a lot of professions but bartending is the type of um career or industry that just 
keeps evolving over time, and there's always something new to learn, and there's so, always something, someone new to learn from. And so even though you're a master at something or a certain aspect of the trade, you know, there's always somebody else out there that can offer you something new and different, you know? And there are so many people in this industry that, or all over the world, not just in this country, but all over the world that do so much research. And um, it's just, every time I turn around, I'm reading something new about a new technique or a better way of, you know, doing something within the industry. So it's just exciting to me because I feel like you can never um, educate enough, you know, and there's always something to to learn and something, someone to learn from. So, you know, with bar methods, we were, first of all, very clear on the different types of skills and techniques that we wanted to um, instruct on. So the first thing we did was we wrote the curriculum without having any instructors in mind, mm. okay? We wanted to we wanted to sit down and say, okay, like what are the six or eight different areas that every bartender really needs to you know, have a very good grasp on and 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 have a very fine-tuned, you know, skill set and knowledge of. And we put that all down on paper. And then we um, sort of backpedal, we backtracked and we looked at who in the industry really knows that that area and really is the expert, you know, in that area. And uh, and that's how we chose our instructors, you know. So we're very proud of the instructors that are teaching bar methods. You know, we feel as though every one of them, um, you know, brings their their background, their expertise, their personality um, into it. They all put their heart into it. Um, to be honest with you, we're not really paying them that much. We are paying them, but not that much. Um, and they're doing it because they love what they do and they love imparting knowledge and they love sitting across from people and giving them this gift, which is what they know about, you know, their their particular technique or skill that they've mastered. People are so giving with their knowledge and they and they want to impart what they know and they want to give it to people that are interested in learning it, right? Well those are the people in the industry, you know, that you kind of read about and hear about all the time. You know, the people that have the patience that um, that, that are not only good at what they do, but they they want to sit in front of you, whether it's in the bar or in a classroom um, or on their living room couch. You know, they love imparting what they know or what they've learned, you know. And, you know, like I said, there's really like no end to where education in this industry sort of ends, you know. There's kind of a lack of, uh, well, when you get into the, the world, you know, that, that we're in, there is opportunity for learning but outside of that like there's a lot of bartenders that just have no education at all well bartending is one of those um, professions that you can actually find somebody who will trust you and put you behind the bar with very little training so it's yeah. a it's very much an on-the-job training type of thing um, you know in 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 many many bars okay but as you you know as these people um, sort of evolve you know in their career they're either going to um, learn more and want to learn even more and and then sort of you know work their way up that you know or you know that ladder of of education and um you know and then and then these are the people that you know we welcome into bar methods like we want we're looking to expand 
the pool of professional bartenders, okay? So so there are quite a few professional bartenders, you know, in the major metro cities and in some of the smaller cities across the country. Um, but there's also what I call a bench that is filled with bartenders that have, you know, a couple of years of bartending under their belt, and they're intrigued enough, and they want to know more, but they don't know where to go. And they, maybe they don't have the right network around them or the right resources to to know that, you know, well, you could go to, there are programs out there, there is education out there, you know, and there there's many different types of education. You know, there's always the local, I'm going to call it the Holiday Inn down the street that has like a bartending course, you know, where you, you're going to learn how to make your Cosmos and your Long Island iced teas and you're going to, you know, you're going to learn some basics. And those courses are great as beginner courses, you know. Um, but then once you really get into the professional craft end of the business, there's there are courses that you may have to travel to. You may have to get on a plane or a train, you know, and go into a major city. But um, but there's also courses online There's a, you know, that you can take. So for example, Bar Smarts yeah. is a course that has, um, there's an online component yeah. and it's, um, it's study and, and you were one of the founders of that. So in 2007, I was part of the team that started Bar Smarts with Pernod Ricard. So that was exciting. Uh, just editorial note here. Like anybody who, who has not done Bar Smarts online, do it right now. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. I agree. It's. I think it's a terrific program. And I think that, um, you know, you're going to learn a lot of things in that program about, um, about you know, spirit um, fermentation, distillation, production, you know, you're going to learn, a, a, you know, they do a deep dive into each of the different spirit categories. So you'll learn about, you know, the different types of whiskeys, different types of um, vodka, gin, tequila, etc. They also, um, there's a chapter about history where <laughs> there's a history chapter, you know, which, you know, I, I quite honestly, I think that every bartender needs to know about prohibition and why it happened, how it happened, yeah. when it happened. You know, um, every bartender or every professional bartender needs to know who Jerry Thomas is, you know, so that's kind of what Bar Smarts covers. And it's a, it's a great program. You need to know that, but you also just for the story of it, you know, like just to start a conversation. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, it's all interesting information and nobody has walked away from Bar Smarts with any regrets about, you know, what they've learned and, and how valuable the information is. And when Chris and I put Bar Methods together, you know, um, we were not looking to mimic anything else that was out there. You know, mm -hmm. we felt as though there was a void um, and that's what Bar Methods does. It fills this void, you know, and, um, and we're not, we're not looking to talk to, you know, the head bar manager at the, at the major craft, you know, cocktail bars across the country, you know, we're looking at the, these bartenders that are, um, sitting on the bench, you know, and they're kind of, they're, they're deciding, you know, am I going to be a career bartender or am I going to go off and, you know, be an actor or, or do something else? And these are the ones that we want to bring into the cocktail world. And we're looking to expand the world of professional cocktail, um, bartenders, um, you know, as opposed to say, you know, teaching people that already know the majority of these skills. Well, Chris, this is an amazing event. Thank you so much for putting it on. It must be a lot of work to uh, to do this. Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, two years into planning to kind of get the concept down. Uh, logistically activating it, we're really fortunate to be working with a great hotel. Um, the Park South has been so hospitable 
in opening their spaces up and really providing us great classrooms that make the education easier, uh, which logistically make my life much easier. Um, but it does, uh, it, it definitely does take a good amount of effort to get everything knocked out, organize everything. Um, our presenters have been really great in honing in on concepts and building out load lists and class schedules and ideas that make for very specific focuses on what it is, which really do simplify my side of things logistically. But it's great, and I think it really provides, you know, a good focus for the people sitting in the room, too. So what, what is the focus? I mean, we have, we have some really great bartenders here tonight, uh, uh, this weekend, or it's bartenders weekend. Bartender weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of very pro professional bartenders uh, yeah. here, here, and, um, like, what, what are you trying to impart on these people? So the focus is really bringing it back to the fundamentals. Yeah. Um, and beyond just the surface of the technique, uh, everybody that's here understands how to shake, how yeah. to stir. Um, but many of them might not have had the opportunity to look into why you do that or what it contributes to the cocktail. Mm. Um, a lot of the education that's available right now uh, is either on the far simpler side of things that focuses on what side of the bottle the liquor pours out of, yeah. um, and the other side of it is much more about the spirit or the cocktail itself. The fundamentals that you pick up more often than not are because you've had a mentor or a senior bartender that was willing to take you under their wing and show you how it's done. And in a live bar atmosphere, it's really difficult to get into the nuances and the tips and tricks and the whys. Uh, and it kind of becomes a little bit of monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. You know, you stir a Manhattan because you were told you stir a Manhattan. Yeah, like why? Right. <laughs> and if you understand why, then when it comes to a Negroni, when it comes to, you know, a Martini, you understand the core concepts of what have gone into those recipes and those ideas so that even when you get to the point where you're developing your own cocktails or putting your own program together or just working for somebody else and you hear the speck of a drink, you know what techniques to implement on what you're doing. It, it, today's uh, seminar about jiggering and free pouring, yeah. very revealing. And I, I think that goes to, to what you were just talking about because it was very like, you know, okay, you free pour? Let's measure what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I've, uh, I've spent 10 years that I will shamelessly admit were behind a lot of New Jersey bars. Yeah. Um, a lot of volume bars, a lot of sports bars where everything was built to be sweet. Everything was built to be named after a candy bar. Uh, and this proper balance of cocktail was less focused on. Um, and it was much more to that same point about pour cost. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where the balance on a cocktail and that craft finesse isn't as prevalent, the individual pour costs were the big focus. So over-pouring, under-pouring, um, and speed 
were the three big things that we harped on. And with something like that, looking at the craft cocktail industry, there is a massive reverence to properly jiggering and measuring what you're doing. Whereas with more volume bars, the focus is on the speed of service. So if you can accurately implement free pouring and actually get it to be consistent, it may not be the most accurate, but you're less focused on the specific balance and more so on the service and execution side. Right. it really does lend to a different school of thought because I know a lot of excellent craft bartenders that have come up through the trade and barbacked and really worn all the hats on their way up, but they've always done it within the craft cocktail world. So they are just inexperienced when it comes to free pouring. They've never had to do it. They've never had the opportunity to do it. Uh, so when it comes to a volume standpoint, they're amazingly fast with a jigger, but their pour counts are, it, it's, it's crazy to see who is where now and where, not even a shortcoming, but just where that line is drawn on who knows how to count out an ounce or get yeah. close to an ounce or who spent the time to really refine that because of the accounts that they're at and the service that they're putting out there and where their focuses lie. Yeah. Well, I'm laughing because I come from the other side where free free pouring yeah. was it. Like nobody yeah. ever I can't tell you how many times I had a jigger in my in front of me. Like I, I'm I'm telling my manager, order jiggers. We need jiggers. There's no jigger behind this bar. <laughs> so we had the uh the free pour kind of competition yeah. today. It was within an eighth of an ounce. Everybody that did it was within an eighth of an ounce. Yeah, it's um I mean, most of free pouring, where there is a count, where there is a beats per minute, where there's a rhythm and a routine to it, knowingly or not, you stop pouring an ounce when the jigger is full. So there's a degree of muscle memory that will play into that where after so many shifts, so many years, so many days, so many bottles, you have developed this sense of where that ounce lies. Yeah. Um, and but, really, but what happened? But what happened was, so he had four or five different uh, pourers, yeah. and they all pour at different rates, you know. And so, like, I didn't have experience with that specific pourer, you know. Right. But I nailed it within yeah. quarter eighth of an ounce. <laughs> but I had the chance to watch others do it before me, so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm watching them, you know, one, two, three, four, five, you know. So, <laughs> and there's there's a threshold of acceptable difference when it comes to certain ingredients whereas with other ingredients you really need to be on it um he jason trell used maraschino as a big one on there bitters would weigh out the same way any of those monstrously bold flavors um, are gonna weigh in much heavier with smaller volume in the overall of a cocktail. If you're trying to balance a Hemingway daiquiri and you overdo it with maraschino, you're gonna destroy that cocktail. Whereas if you're making a Jack and Coke, (laughs) that extra quarter ounce of Jack isn't gonna tarnish what you're serving. So different cocktails definitely do lend to a little bit of forgivability depending on what you're doing. Totally. But with with maraschino or or, um, even like grenadine, like you can't, uh, an extra quarter ounce is going to totally mess up that drink. Absolutely. The concentration of ingredients 
uh, and Josh Terrell touched on this, Jason absolutely touched on this, depending on either the, the bricks level, the amount of sweetness that is in an ingredient, or the amount of bitterness, or just flavor in general, um, certain ingredients will weigh heavier in the overall balance and proportion of a drink. So where, you know, an extra quarter ounce of vodka or gin may not throw a cocktail that far out, when you start looking at some of the more delicate drinks or some of the more pronounced modifiers, it's going to weigh in a lot heavier. So it's really just knowing what you're working with and knowing how to balance out those proportions best. Bricks is something that I've heard of before, but until today, I didn't know what that was exactly. And so, so that was really cool to really understand what that is. So can you explain that a little? Definitely. Um, and the best way to kind of like visually understand bricks, bricks is the amount of dissolved substance in water. So a great visual example of this is if you pour a glass of water, which if you're using distilled, it will be less so. If you're using tap water because of the naturally occurring minerals in there, they are dissolved solids. Um, But it's measured by the amount of dissolved solids in water. That is your brick measurement. Um, So in the case of a bartender, that's going to be your simple syrup, which if you're doing it by weight, um, and you balance out one-to-one, your bricks will be 50. But a visual representation of that is if you pour a glass of water and you stick a pencil in it, that bend in the pencil that forms at the surface of the water is the refraction of those dissolved solids in the water. Wow. Um, That's really technical. Super technical. (laughs) So that refractometer that Josh showed... Yeah is what you'll see in distilleries, it's what you'll see in breweries, it's what you'll see on the, the lab side of things, um, which is a great way to be very technical and very specific in what you're producing. But all it's doing is measuring the amount, the amount of bend in the pencil. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Confessional here, I take my simple syrup and I'm like, here's some sugar, here's some hot water, yeah. and I mix it together and it's bad, you know, because now people need to recreate my drinks. Right. And it's not going to happen. You know, I, I do it and I taste my drinks with the straw and I can make my drinks the same every time. But now can somebody else do that? That's the problem. Exactly. And that's where, that's where that volume versus weight debate comes in. Yeah. Because if you look at the crystalline structure of sugar, mm-hmm. it's a square. It is a cube. Uh, So if you just pour that into a vessel, they're not all going to line up like good little soldiers. (laughs) They are going to randomly fall into place. So if you fill a cup of sugar by volume and pour it into a glass and then start tapping that glass on the counter, that level is going to drop slowly. And that drop in measured volume versus the actual physical weight um, is... inaccurate mm-hmm. you know a cup of sugar yeah. versus a cup of water yeah. is kind of the equivalent of a ton of bricks versus a ton of feathers a ton of feathers yeah. is going to look like yeah. much more but you can pack it way down a ton of bricks is a very dense material 
Uh, so when you're trying to have repeatability, when you're trying to have accuracy behind a bar and it's coming to recipes and ingredients and that consistency in execution, it's really important to take your core ingredients like sugar, which is going to balance out the tartness, balance out the acidity, and make sure that you have a, a correct bricks level, which is really what that balance is, um, where if you're doing a one-to-one -one sugar, you're doing one-to-one -one water to sugar by weight because it is much more accurate and you will make sure that other people replicating what you're doing or even what you're doing day to day remains consistent and that your clientele that's coming in expecting that daiquiri or that old fashioned to have that level of sweetness to balance out that tart, to balance out that acidity uh, is consistent day to day. Yeah. And then actually your fruit can be different day to, oh my God, diff, yeah. day to day. And you know, the first time I heard that, somebody talking about that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> really, I was like, you, your, your limes are different day to day and you gotta taste it. Like, but yeah. you know what? It's, it's true. Absolutely, and I like that Josh threw that curveball into you guys where, you know, there's three samples to try. Yeah. And Three daiquiris were made to identical specs, shaked the same way, same proportions, sugar to citrus to rum. So, yeah, so just explain uh, that experiment to us. So <laughs> If you aren't here. No, absolutely. <laughs> so Josh had three samples of lime juice. And, th and three identical daiquiris, two spec, by weight, same simple syrup, same rum, same measure of ice, same shake, same person, same shaker, uh, all other things being controlled, the variable being three different lime juices. Right. Um, so three daiquiris. That's what he told us. Correct. <laughs> um, so daiquiri A, B, C, and they were tasted uh, with varying preferences. And the difference between A, B, and C Lime juice A was freshly squeezed Fresh. just before the seminar. Right. And the curveball came in that lime juice B and C were actually two-day-old lime juice. The same lime juice just exactly in two separate containers. Exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, but it was done to kind of show that flavors change and preferences are different person to person. Yeah. And even if that's a matter of you've already been introduced to the previous acid and your personal palate has modified to where that third one, even though it's the same lime juice, you're experiencing a different level of flavor in there, your palate has modified. Yeah. So there really is you know, a growth in flavor, a progression of what your palate's gonna do as you're drinking cocktails, and that there's a bit more sustainability to citrus, to ingredients, and the focus isn't there is definitely a limitation as far as sanitation and expiration of ingredients, yeah. but there's also a control of what you're willing to serve and what experience you want to give your guests and your own in-house consistencies. Yeah. So, well, to finish the story, uh, A was freshly squeezed lime juice Correct. today. Yeah. B and C were. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> but two, 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 day, days two days ago. Yeah. And, you know, I, me, I won't serve lime juice that's more than a day old. Yeah. 
But you know what? After today, maybe I will. Because <laughs> I chose B. Exactly. And there's a chance of it surviving. And it's a lot of care goes into the ingredients. A lot of focus goes into the ingredients. And it's not to say that he left it on the counter for two days. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that experiment yeah. would have gone vastly yeah. different. And it's one of my favorite training techniques yeah. is to give someone a two-day-old lime wedge mm. and say, here, oh, taste well, that, this. But that looks different. It looks different. But the juice is pretty similar. Um, but when there's Let me ask you this question, totally off of what we were just talking about. Try me. Um, somebody orders a tangerine tonic, Correct. right? Yeah. They want a lime, obviously you serve a lime with it. Mm -hmm. Do you squeeze it in or do you put it on the side? Ah, so here's a teaser for tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, tomorrow, John Henderson's going to be teaching you guys all about the world of garnishes. Right, right. Um, and there are differences between visual garnishes and utility garnish. My preference when I'm serving somebody a gin and tonic is to put that wedge, which a wedge being more of a utility garnish, leaves the customer to introduce that if they should choose. And if they only want a little bit, if they want a lot, if they want to drop the whole thing in, that purpose of it is to give the consumer the option of what they want to do with it. Mm. If you're putting it on there strictly for a visual, right. that's when you would introduce a wheel or a half wheel or something that is just physically more difficult to juice, that's more lending cues to the flavors in a cocktail or what they can come to expect or some aroma to it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to put it on there, if you want to squeeze it in, I don't see any difference between squeezing the wedge or reaching into your well and pouring a little fresh lime juice that you have in a bottle so ready to go. You would think so. <laughs> so. Somehow it's different. Yeah, the visual cue. Um, but I think when you're putting a wedge on a glass, it's great to give your consumer the opportunity to introduce as much or as little of it as right, they would right, choose. Right. But here, here's the thing. Like, I try to read my guest, and, Absolutely. like, you know, sometimes they'll say, I'd like two limes. Mm -hmm. with, you know, so I'm like, obviously they want a lot of lime in their right. gin and tonic, right? So I'm like... Um, I think I want to squeeze this in there for them because uh, they want a lot of lime in it. Yeah. But then I'll squeeze it in there, and then they take it out with their fingers yeah. and squeeze it again. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> but there's people that enjoy the ceremony of it. There's yeah. people that there's people that are germaphobes, and despite yeah. how sanitary your production may be, have yeah. this preconceived notion that they don't want the peel in there. There's a level of bitterness that might be extracted from the pith if it yeah. sits in the drink long enough. There's the ceremony and if you're home and you're drinking and your habits may not be their habits. Maybe they squeeze and put it on a napkin at home. Maybe they squeeze and mash it with a straw. Uh, it's really about catering to your guests' experiences. So if you know someone does enjoy that or if somebody prefers the juice in there or if somebody, you know, up or down or neat or rocks or whatever their preferences are, I think it's really great as a bartender to have the opportunity to remember their preferences and work within that. I think uh, what I started to do was like say, shall I squeeze that in there for you? Absolutely. <laughs> and it gives, it gives that interaction and it gives that, that catering aspect to their wants and makes yeah. them feel special. And I think that's a great component of bartending because only so much of the job is actually 
making the drink. The rest I, I, of it. I would say 10%. Absolutely. Uh, and it should be the most mechanical part of your job. Yeah. The rest of it is the customer experience. That's the difference between service and hospitality. Somebody working the service well isn't dealing with customers. They're head down, reading tickets, producing drinks, selling them out. Yeah. Somebody working the bar has that hospitality, has that interaction with their guest, right. has that rapport, has that understanding of the experience that they're looking for. So I think offering up an option like, would you like me to squeeze that for you? Yeah. is great. Or if they want six limes and it's a few years ago and there's a lime crisis, <laughs> you say, hey, listen, this case of limes cost me 200 bucks. <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of juice here ready to go. I got this for you. Um, it really provides an extra service that you can offer to your guests that allows them to feel special. Yeah. But here's something else I want to talk about. It's like the mood of the room is totally up to the bartender. The, the temperature in the room, the music, the level of the music, the, what's on the TVs if you have TVs. Like, I, I think it's so important. It's for the bartender to to manage that, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rule 101 of interviewing people, don't ask yes or no questions. Right. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go to dinner. All right. Well, we did go to dinner at a place called Tavern 29. Had a great dinner sponsored by Whistlepig, my friends at Whistlepig. Had lots of uh, great food and great drinks. And uh, I have to thank all the sponsors at, at Bar Methods. Uh, Cavassier was a big sponsor. Uh, Illegal Mescal threw us a dinner. Uh, we had um, uh, Redemption Rye was a sponsor. And uh, I'm forgetting some, unfortunately. Oh, Copper and Kings was there, threw us a lunch. That was great and served us some great punch as well. Uh, Angel's Envy, I think I mentioned in the beginning of the show, did a happy hour for us. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience, so I really uh, encourage you to look into doing that next time it's available. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the end of the show, or usually. I didn't do it last week, did I? <laughs> last week uh, was the Whistle Pig show, and uh, we took a trip up to Whistle Pig, and I edited that thing in the back of the van on the way home, and uh, couldn't record any more audio. It was just whatever I had recorded. That was it. So I <laughs> hope you liked that. It was a little, little different format last week, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, we're going to do a toast at the end of the show this week. But first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. The website is bartenderjourney.net. And you can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. I'm on Instagram at uh, bartenderjourney. And there's a lot of a lot of pictures up there from the Whistle Pig trip, actually, and from uh, Bar Methods as well. So uh, check that out. And uh, remember our contest I told you about at the beginning of the show. If you uh, send me an email at brian at bartenderjourney.net with um, a story about how uh, this, if this show has helped you out at all, um, just write just a little sentence or two about it, and you'll be entered into a contest to win uh, that Angel's MV uh, notebook and a bourbon T-shirt, and uh, we'll, send, we'll send you some swag if you're the winner. All right, here's our toast, and it's very simple. It goes like this. No retreat, no surrender. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. Ask for a bottle at your favorite tavern, and to enjoy it at home, you can order it by the case from your neighborhood dealer. <laughs>